You are listening to the Holistic Travel Nurse Podcast. I got a lot of things to cover in this one. Um, I start with a little quote, that, a video of some doctors talking that is on my telegram. Then I'm going to get into uh, one other video on there. Um, Melaleuca, the tea tree oil. <clears throat> and I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk more about transdermal magnesium. Um We'll see. We'll see how much I can get into this episode and not have it extremely long. So let's start with this. First of all, that we must not quibble about details. The facts are on the table. And the facts have been presented by Anna Bocard a week ago. And the facts are damning. All gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturing, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15. In the last four days, the number has been increased to 70 individuals who died after vaccination without any connection to vaccination being established by the So these were people who died at home, at work, in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. This is very, very important. They were, postpartums were performed because the relatives insisted on this. And nothing was found. So the organs appeared normal. However, when Anna Burkhardt, professor of pathology, one of the most experienced professors in Germany, who is now pensioned, by the way, like me, proceeded to look at these organs over the last six months. He has spent day after day looking at these organs. He discovered something that was so absolutely damning and absolutely you know there's no question now anymore about what is going on and the answer is in the organs of these people in 90 percent he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the tissues The main ones being the heart, the heart, the lung, and after that, other tissues such as liver, etc., etc., etc. And this has been now posted on the website of the Doctors for COVID Ethics and is going viral around the world because these data are so damning that you don't have to start looking for other data to know that these vaccines are killing the young and the old. Are killing the young and the old. And they are killing our children. And so I don't know what we're talking about. Look at these pictures. Look at these bullets that are being shot into the people who are being vaccinated, the children who are, you know, we we made this video. I said, we're going to say, all right, children, 
stand up against the wall. This is a water pistol and you're going to be shot with this water pistol and it's not going to hurt. The water may get into your eyes, they may burn. Kati, the eyes may burn, but nothing will happen and you will be protected and you will protect your parents and grandparents. All this bullshit. So the children are set up against the wall and they shoot. These damn people are shooting and they're killing our children. I can't stand it. We have a four-year-old son and we're going to flee this damn country because we are not going to let himself be shot. Now, it is now... Okay, that's a clip. Um, it looks like it was Tem Truth and you can see that that's uh, on my podcast and you can do more of that. I mean, on my Telegram um, group, which grows all the time too. Let me go back in there. And I thought, ugh, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts <laughs> with um, that in consideration to, uh, oh, I didn't even get it shared. It, I will put it in there. I, I was just making sure it's in there. I'll have to find it again. It's like these things that are like so darn important and you cannot be watching all the, the sheep that are watching the um, mainstream media. And I am in a state where people are being too damn compliant and wearing the face diapers over their face, acting like it's no big deal. Dude, you're breathing in bacteria over and over and over again. And there's been uh, cases where you are definitely not doing yourself any health. If you put it on, put it on really loosely, very, very loosely if you have to do it for work. Make sure you pull that sucker down as much as damn possible. Have your nose out. I mean, the face diaper doesn't work. We're in the absolute, absolute information war. And I'm going to start it with another doctor. And this is some really interesting data that's out. So let's go to this one. There's a new preprint out now that you got to know about. It's entitled The Risk of Myopericarditis Following COVID-19 mRNA Vaccination in a Large Integrated Health System. Comparison of completeness and timeliness of two methods. The lead author is Dr. Katie Sheriff who is a graduate of the University of Chicago Medical School. She was just a couple years ahead of me. She is an infectious disease doctor and she practices at Northwest Kaiser Permanente, which is Kaiser Permanente Portland. And this is a brilliant analysis that takes advantage of the data set used by Kaiser Permanente, which is a very robust data set that follows all of the people that Kaiser provides health insurance for and medical care for over time. And here's what Katie Sheriff and colleagues do in this very remarkable preprint. What they do is they ask, if you were to look at the estimate of myocarditis and pericarditis that has appeared from the Israelis, you'll find something in the ballpark of one, one in 3,000 to one in 5,000. And if you look at the estimate that is repeatedly presented to the advisory committee of the US FDA, the VRBAC, or even at the CDC's HIP, you will find an estimate that's a little bit less frequent than that. And there's a huge debate online. You can go online and see people arguing tooth and nail about what the precise estimate is. I have always felt that the Israelis since their estimate is in line with the Norwegians, is in line with other nations that have robust healthcare systems, including Hong Kong, that that estimate is very likely to be true. Katie Sheriff proves that in a US-based healthcare system. That's what she does in this paper. So here's what they do. In contrast with the method used by the CDC to ascertain rates of myopericarditis, they just use ICD-10 codes, and they use a certain set of codes. 
Katie Sheriff goes beyond that. She uses both those codes, but also she searches the free text of all hospital notes. She's searching the free text for myocarditis and pericarditis and pulling those notes out where they may not have been coded with a certain billing code, but they may have had that language in the documentation themselves. And by doing so, she's able to find additional cases. There's one more thing she finds. She finds that there's a billing code, an ICD-10 billing code of myocarditis unspecified that the CDC method does not use, but her method has found, and that is linked to real cases of vaccine-induced myocarditis. All the cases are reviewed by experts, and they're confirmed to be confirmed or probable myocarditis due to vaccination. So her strength is that she's using a search of the electronic medical record that goes beyond the ICD-10 codes. But there's one more thing she does. She also looks to see what had somebody got the vaccine within the Kaiser Permanente system, and then this kid happened to go home, and they had chest pain in the middle of the night, they were rushed to the local hospital, they're not in the Kaiser Permanente system, and that hospital took care of them for myocarditis or pericarditis, and then later that hospital submitted a billing claim to Kaiser Permanente. And she's able to pull those out and find that there are additional cases she can identify through that method. And those bills submitted to Kaiser often come at a delay. Some even come more than 30 days after the hospitalization. So what does this have to do with the CDC method? She is showing you two ways in which the CDC's method likely underestimates the risk of myopericarditis. One, they're missing an ICD code. Two, some encounters use this language in the notes that don't have relevant ICD codes. And three, some people were hospitalized outside of surveillance center sites, and those Bills are still being processed even 30 days after vaccination. And so there may be an increase from all these three sources together. And the net result is her estimate is remarkably consistent with other nations' estimates. For men between the ages of 12 and 17, after dose two, she finds an incidence of 377 per million, which is roughly one in 2,700. For men between the ages of 18 and 24, myopericarditis is roughly one in 1,900 much more frequent than what the CDC is using to make their decisions and what Verbeck is using to make their decisions. And that's the insight of her paper, Risk of Myopericarditis Following COVID-19 mRNA Vaccination, Large Integrated Health System. It shows the deficiencies, I think, in our current passive surveillance system, relying too heavily on ICD-10 codes and not using that free text language. She's able to bridge all of this in a very elegant paper. This has direct implications for everything we're talking about these days. It has implications for mandates around going to school, what we're going to do with young boys, the booster decision that we're poised to make next week. Again, in the absence of a verbac, I hope they have an A-chip on this. I hope they have some advisory committee to discuss this. This is important information for all these groups. It also harmonizes the, despair, the disparate um, estimates. You know, we have seen that some countries have reported higher estimates. Ontario province, Norway. So he has this like incredibly great argument he thinks that there's like these advisory boards and people are getting together which and you hope you think they would but the evidence is way out there to the damning of the jab on adults and then we gave it to kids anyways and i don't know i don't know what they're thinking that our government is not for us let me let's just listen to dr robert robert listen to this our government is out of control on this and they are lawless they completely disregard bioethics they completely disregard the federal common rule they have broken all the rules that i know of that i've been trained on for years and years and years these mandates of an experimental vaccine are explicitly illegal they are explicitly inconsistent with the nuremberg code they're explicitly inconsistent with the belmont report they are flat out illegal and they don't care and the only thing standing between us 
and it's too late for many of our colleagues, including my, you know, the unfortunate colleagues in the DOD. Um, hopefully, we're going to be able to stop them before they take our kids. More interesting than that, Canada's role in this, which has achieved almost no fundamental coverage in any media or even in the counterculture media. And most Canadians don't realize that Canada itself, and not just Canada, but specifically the University of British Columbia, beginning in 2005, realized that if it was going to be relevant in the biotech space, it had to be the country and it had to be the research hotbed for establishing the delivery mechanism whereby mRNA vaccines could be developed. The University of British Columbia, working in partnership with INEX Pharmaceuticals in 2005, developed the lipid nanoparticle technology that ultimately became the basis of the formation of a company in British Columbia called Tecmera Pharmaceuticals. In 2009, Tecmera had a very interesting set of challenges, and this was commensurate with the 2008 declaration by the World Health Organization that the coronavirus was in fact eradicated as a condition associated with SARS. And because of the lack of funding in 2008, both Canada and the United States struggled with the fact that they had developed a technology that was supposed to be for a vaccination of coronavirus and for a number of other viral models. But the problem was they ran out of funding. And so there was a series of reorganizations. And in those reorganizations, two companies were formed, Arbutus Pharmaceuticals and Acuitus Pharmaceuticals. Acuitus is the one that unfortunately, the government of Canada has not told the citizens of Canada is the reason why both Moderna and Pfizer have the ability to deliver the current bioweapons program. And I think most people would be shocked to find out that when you have the Prime Minister of Canada getting up in front of a camera in the spring of 2020, telling the world that the only way forward is to allegedly return to a new normal when there is a vaccine, what Trudeau did not tell the public was that he had a financial stake in the outcome of that being the selected pathway forward. What he didn't tell the Canadian public was that Canada's blight on the moral record of what has been historically an amazingly wonderful set of innovations coming out of the Canadian research institutions and research laboratories in fact, created the mechanism whereby you could take mRNA and inject it into a population and try to stabilize that injection. The lipid nanoparticle technology that was developed and ultimately passed to Arbutus was the subject of a licensing agreement that was made with Acuitous Pharmaceuticals in British Columbia, a private company who conveniently had very little reporting requirements. And Acuitous misappropriated the lipid nanoparticle technology and ultimately made it available to both BioNTech and Moderna. It is absolutely critical for us to understand that without the Canadian contribution of the lipid nanoparticle technology from British Columbia, we would have no meaningful response in the form of what's being called a vaccination and we would not have a bioweapons program.
That's a pretty important statement to make to an audience largely of Canadians. And it would be very interesting to find out why it is that Trudeau has not admitted to the public and has been unwilling to actually put into the public record the what we know to be at least billions of dollars of concessions. And it could be, I mean, if we look at just Pfizer-BioNTech's own situation, we know that in the case of Pfizer-BioNTech, that last quarter alone, somewhere between eight and nine billion dollars came in the form of the revenue off of all of the um, the interventions that are being sold off as, as coronavirus vaccines. In the last quarter alone, this would place this tiny little British Columbia company, which in 2009, people, was functionally owned by one person. I mean, we need to, we need to kind of bear that in mind. One person actually owned this company, Thomas Madden, who is the CEO of, of Acuitas. Um, in 2009, he was largely the sole owner of it. He actually appropriated the technology in a labor dispute, which functionally was a trade secret argument around this. And when we actually look at what happened in 2016, and this is a very important point, people. In 2016, somebody in Canada knew that there was something going to happen with this particular vaccine platform because in 2016, Arbutus Pharmaceuticals and Acuitas Pharmaceuticals got into litigation on whether or not the license for the lipid nanoparticle technology that Acuitas had from Arbutus was in fact capable of being extended to other pathogens. And in 2016, there was a significant amount of litigation and the license that Acuitas had to use lipid nanoparticle technology developed by Tecmera, developed by Arbutus, the license was actually terminated in 2016. That coincides with the weaponization of SARS-CoV-2. Now, do we have, at this moment in time, the written record of the evidence of what we know was knowable? The answer to that is no. There is no public information that currently exists that has been made in any format that any of us can access. There's no public information to tell us what precisely transpired in 2016, which allowed this particular dispute to erupt between these two Canadian firms, all based in the history of Tecmira. But somewhere in 2016, somebody knew that there was a lottery win to be had. And my guess is that somewhere inside of the Canadian health system and somewhere inside NIAID in the Vaccine Research Center and somewhere inside the UNC Chapel Hill records, we will find that, that, that the Trudeau government was fully aware by at least 2018 that we were going to have a significant pandemic requiring this core technology to be unleashed on the world courtesy of the Canadian collaboration on lipid nanoparticles. And there is no question that by the time we get to 2019, March specifically of 2019, we know that Arbutus, Moderna, Pfizer-BioNTech and others were in fact working on a vaccine for respiratory pathogen. And we know that information because they amended their patent filings to say exactly that.
<clears throat> wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall in some of these conversations that have happened in the past to the mass genocide that is happening now? And how many people are involved who knew really well what the heck is going on? And then some that don't. And is it, it has to be more than just about money with some of these big, evil, nasty companies. That's all I have to say about that. Because, okay. Um, tea tree oil. What an, an powerful, because this is one of the oils I really like to use. Um, if I go get a pedicure, I use it with my shampoo. I use it in cleaning. I use it in my bath with my Epsom salt. It um, is a high in turpentine, turpentine um, chemical constituents, alpha pinene, and delimonene. Um, it is so good for you. It has been around for the longest time. There's so much history when you think of this and, and plant. And there's like three pages in this book that is evidence-based um, essential oil therapy. There's so much content just about this and the applications of it working synergistically with antibiotic and antifungals um, to decrease the um, evidence of uh, fungus or bacteria infections on people. So conjunctive with those other medications that are around. In aromatherapy, there's it's one of the ones that I knew about long before. And it's one of them that I've talked about before that um, my mother-in-law used and thought she was getting where she can ingest it, which there was some evidence that you could ingest it. I would suggest, um, not consuming the oil for say you can, but you it not, it's, don't do it every day. It's uh, not con consistent with that. It's more consistent with the topical and aromatherapy type of use. But anyways, when she thought she was buying an oil in a pure oil somewhere, she tried to put just a drop on her tongue and immediately vomited it wasn't what it says it's in the bottle and we have that so much with essential oils and supplementations there's and i don't even know if i trust the regulations that there was some kind of regulatory person saying what oh it's organic and using those labels um unless you are actually distilling the plant yourself or i i trust doTERRA and their sampling and their um lab work and just in comparison using with other brand of oils so that's why i like them um it's so good you can add it to your conditioner and you're going to be getting the anti also anti-inflammatory properties of that essential oil that way it is potent in its smell um you can even says you can add it to your mouthwash and want to use it that way um, it is good for your skin and severe itching and inflamed type of skin issues. It's also um, has some benefit in the antihistamine areas of receptors in the cell and the skin. So that's helpful there. Research um, has discovered that it in, in certain bacterias that it inhibits growth from happening with those bacteria. I mean, the, the bacteria can't grow. Um, wash your hands with soap. Um, and um, it's very, very good with uh, 
cleaning those things off your hands. So using it as a hand sanitizer as everybody's over hand sanitizing right now. Uh, oh gosh, protects against strep A bacteria. Can be helpful with that. It is so good for the skin and acne issues and um, your face and adding it to your women's facial regimen, um, like to your lotion that you're already using. You can add a drop in that or mix it in and apply it to your face. Um, people have been using this for wounds and healing way back in the day in World, World Wars and... Um, Australia, they've been using this for a long time. There's actually, um, again, studied when it comes to malignant type of tumors and interfering with um, those from growing. So interesting concept there. I can't even get through the three pages, but it um, tea tree is more affected than zinc oxide and other things um, with when it comes to inflammation and uh, contact swelling on the skin. Um, you can get it with this um, with your toes like if your toes are having issues down there it's a good thing for your toes you can add it to your socks you can make a spray with some baking soda and put it in your shoes to kind of deal with those icky smells and issues um you can make it with a gel and i would suggest topical use in all sorts of different ways and again using the right the right brand uh, i can't even i wish i could tell you more this lot of ways that there's so much data in research let's just put it that way three pages worth in this book on that particular powerful oil to have on hand and like one bottle for me um, shelf life lasts like a year or so. It's not like I use it. And again, it's in drop form. Uh, let's see if I have the other last one of these videos I want to share. This one. And I want these hospitals to know. I want to put them now under notice. They, I want them to know that we know what's going on. This is the information that I received by very, very reliable sources. Hospitals now, if you've got COVID-19 and have been either single shot or double shot, because you know, it's party, they treat you with ivermectin. Even though the TGA has banned ivermectin for use outside of the hospital, in the hospitals they are using ivermectin to treat the vaccinated people. Why? So they can say, look, if you're vaccinated, you recover quicker. No, you are using the very drug that you banned that helps both the vaccinated and unvaccinated. But here's the thing, if you're unvaccinated, they rush to stick you on a ventilator so they can get $37,000 and to show that if you're unvaccinated, you have a higher chance of dying. This is absolute and other bullshit. And the hospitals need to know that now we know 
We know what you are doing. You corrupt, thieving bastards. Okay? To every single doctor, you took a hypocritical oath. I don't know what that means, but that sounds funny in itself. You made an oath to protect people, whether you're vaccinated or not. You have the drug that is the cure for this Delta virus. You have it. Stop picking and choosing who you treat with this drug. This is illegal. This is unconstitutional. And this is against every single ethical oath that you took. Stop being the tool that the government uses to push this poison upon other people. This vaccine doesn't do anything whatsoever. Ivermectin is what's working. But they are using it to let you believe if I'm vaccinated and I go to the hospital, I'm, I'm going to survive. No, you're not. No, you're not. You've got a much ch as much chance of dying from the Delta variant, whether you're vaccinated or not. But now they're showing favoritism towards the vaccinated. People of Australia need to know this. The government must go down. The government must be pushed out. Doctors must be held accountable for, for their actions. This is not acceptable. You are now under notice. We know what you are doing. Make this virus, make this um, post go viral. Let everybody know exactly what they are doing. Exactly what they intend on trying to prove. If they can't, they've been proven. They can't prove that COVID, the Delta variant, exists, being separated, but they, they can't prove that this vaccine works and doesn't work, okay? But what they can do is try to manipulate the situation in order to make you believe that this vaccine works. It doesn't work. Ivermectin works. But now they're picking and choosing. Now they're picking and choosing. They are deciding who is going to suffer from it severely because they have stood in the belief of their freedom and who can get off because they're good little sheep. 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 You are absolute filth. So that's in Australia. Um, I don't even know who that guy is who made this video. Oh, but how's that? It hasn't gone viral. Of course, they're not going to let that shit go viral. Um, calcium is essential for our health. Yet it holds a hidden danger and it brings to our grace much a quicker than than we like. Calcium is the most um, promoted nutrient of convention, nutritional alternative medicine. At, this is at a great risk and a mistake. This is according to Transdermal Magnesium Therapy, the book. They should instead be promoting magnesium. Magnesium deficiency leads to increased mitocardial um, levels, both sodium and calcium. This problem, because the coronary artery calcium is particularly near coronary artery disease events, calcium little blocks in there. In the face of growing <clears throat> magnesium deficiency, calcium becomes increased, more toxic in the human pathology. 90% of Americans don't get enough magnesium. Dr. Dean um, makes it clear when she says in her book, The Magnesium Miracle, to understand how you create a calcium-magnesium imbalance in your body, try this experiment in your kitchen. 
crochet calcium pill and see how much dissolves in water. Then crush a magnesium pill and slowly stir it into the calcium. When you introduce the magnesium, it remain, the remaining calcium dissolves. It becomes more water soluble. The same thing happens in your bloodstream, your heart, your brain, your kidneys, all the tissues in your body. If you don't have enough magnesium to help the calcium dissolve, you may end up with calcium excessive and muscle spasms, fibromyalgia, hardening arteries, and even dental cavities. Another scenario plays out in our kidneys. Therefore, too much calcium in the kidneys isn't, and not enough magnesium to dissolve it, you can get kidney stones. The more protein you consume, the more magnesium you need. You need to consume large amounts of calcium. You need more magnesium. Interesting. So that's just one take of this book because someone has put a comment and asked about more about magnesium um, and essential oils. So I thought I'd share a little bit of that with the news of the day, the craziness that of the world we live in. And then I'm, I still want to get back into sharing the Bible and God's word. And what does this mean for us all going forward? and the best way we come together in prayer and we come together in non-compliance. I hope you're doing something amazing for your body today. Um, I hope you're using some thing relaxation on your skin that is going to be good for your mind, body, soul, and spirit and God with you. And thank you for listening and sharing.